Hey, everybody. This is Thomas with Free Me Podcast. Today, I have Mr. Robert Jenkins, Esquire, prominent attorney up in Virginia, correct? Fourth Circuit? That's right. North, uh, Northern Virginia, also D.C. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay, mm-hmm. um, before we get started, do you have any shout-outs? How, how can my listeners find you? Any plugs you want to get in? Because we're going to get dirty here in a minute. Yeah, absolutely. We certainly can always check us out on our website. And that's at bonhamandjenkinslawoffice.com. We also can be reached on Instagram at Attorney Jenkins. Um, same handle for Twitter. Perfect. Beautiful. So how long have you been in a, a federal attorney? I've been practicing now in federal courts for 26 years since I um, started in 1995. Mm-hmm. And in those 26 years, how many how many charges of conspiracy have you ran across? Oh my God, um, there's no way I could count that the, the, the total number of conspiracy cases I've had in 26 years. Um, it would certainly be in the thousands. Okay, have you seen within that timeline, have you seen an escalation in conspiracy charges? Um, I've seen it broaden, um, not so much in federal court where it was always a um, weapon used by federal prosecutors, but what we've now started to see in state courts um, in the District of Columbia, Maryland, as well as in Virginia, um, we've seen an expansion uh, and more use of conspiracy laws. A trickle-down effect. That's right. Absolutely. So before we get started, for for my listeners, I I just want to delve into the history of conspiracy because we hear conspiracy and we hear conspiracy on the news. We hear conspiracy everywhere. And, and there's a couple of stigmas that I really want to get into today um, that we really ought to just break down so people have a real understanding of what these, these titles mean. Um, so conspiracy, right, was, was started in the, in the late 60s, right? It was, it was, a, it was a RICO right? It was, a, it was a charge that the state police and detectives and whatnot, they were having a problem with the mafia. They could not get to the leaders of the mafia. You had all their, their subordinates that were being told to go out and commit these, these crimes, and they could arrest these subordinates, but they knew that these subordinates were just minions, right? They couldn't get to the guys that were calling the shots, they could never find these guys doing anything wrong. Well, along came a, a prominent young prosecutor by the name of Rudy Giuliani, who started um, introducing the fact that there was a law that was being erroneously used. They weren't using it properly. This was the, the statute, the RICO statute. He came in and he introduced how to properly, quote unquote, use this statute in creating uh, uh, racketeering offenses against the leaders for giving these guys orders to go about, you know, their business to, to further the business. So along came Rico conspiracy. And this is how they just completely dismantled the, the mafia. Now, what ended up happening um, I wasn't in the rooms when these discussions were made, and and this is what I brought this gentleman on for here to enlighten us on on those points. But in my opinion, this was something where they sat back and they said, you know what, we can use this in so many different facets. 
because we know of white collar crime that's going on in these large corporations. We know that these guys that are out here selling drugs on the corners aren't the guys that are bringing the dope into the countries, you know, and, and so on and so forth. So they started entwining conspiracy into almost every charge and to where today um, you can catch conspiracy for the slightest infraction. You can catch conspiracy for having a loved one that you're just looking out for. Your loved one is, is selling drugs and he's just selling drugs to, to pay for his bills for whatever reason. You as a loved one can say, you know what? You could send it to him in a text. You know what? You need to be careful. You need to stop telling these people, you know, this and that. Basically what you're doing is you're, you're just telling him to, to how to protect himself. That infraction right there can land you into a conspiracy without you even knowing it, right? Because you're protecting the conspiracy, you're furthering it along. And by you just giving your relative that slight of information, you are now responsible for everything that that conspiracy is involved in from the point that you give that message to everything behind you don't even have to commit the crime you don't even have to know that it exists but in the eyes of the law because you helped further this man these crimes are now committed and now you could be responsible for murder you could be responsible for many many things which opens the door for the federal government to come in and just completely flip your life upside down so I would like to get your comment on that. Yeah, well, I think you did a very good job of talking about what the original intent was for conspiracy um, offenses and how it could be used as a tool, um, a good tool, and but at the same time, how it leaves a wide array of possibilities of abuses. Um, conspiracy laws make it easier for law enforcement to prosecute individuals who they can't necessarily prove committed a substantive act. Um, that is, you can be, for example, um, in your scenario you laid out um, to your listeners, you could be um, brought into a drug conspiracy, even though you didn't sell the drugs, even though you didn't import the drugs, even though you didn't necessarily profit from the drugs, you didn't bag the drugs, you didn't package, weigh them, committed any of those substantive offenses that is required for the distribution of the drugs but you may have played some other role that assisted uh, those who were committing those substantive acts. And that's how you can be prosecuted for the conspiracy. And as you rightly pointed out, um, when you're prosecuted in a conspiracy offense, you're not, your exposure or your culpability isn't limited to the small discrete act you may have committed. Um, you now take on the responsibility and the burden, um, the liability of all co-conspirators. That means even though you didn't sell the drugs, you're now responsible for selling the drugs. Even though you didn't profit from the sale of the drugs, you now are treated just as the individual who profited from the sale of the drugs. So not only does it, in my view, lower the burden um, that a prosecutor has to bring, carry in order to prosecute an individual, again, someone who they can't prove actually committed a substantive offense, when we look at how people are held accountable, how are they punished?
for their varying roles in a conspiracy. Well, under most conspiracy laws, you can be punished equally the same, again, as the individual who profited from the sale of the drugs, who actually sold the drugs, who actually imported the drugs. Um, even by playing that very discreet role, you can receive the exact same punishment they receive. Um, so it is a, 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 a huge weapon in the arsenal of a, of a prosecutor, more often, again, used in federal court. Um, you're right about the RICO uh, specific conspiracy laws. Originally, it was viewed as a target, as a great weapon to dismantle major criminal organizations. Because as you said, you'd have individuals at the very top of the criminal organizations who didn't commit the substantive offenses. They didn't actually pull the trigger. Um, they didn't actually pick up the collection money for the extortion, or they weren't actually running the houses of prostitution. Um, but at least not on a day-to-day -day basis, right. but they may have been profiting from it. They may have been providing direction, managing the affairs of those uh, types of criminal entities. And it allowed federal prosecutors to rope them in and charge them with being a part of the racketeering organization. So, so what does that mean? Let me let me explain what 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 this gentleman just broke down. So going back to, <clears throat> excuse me, going back to uh, the relative, right? So what does that mean for the relative now? So what that means is now you become a, a target of an investigation. So nine times out of ten, what's going to happen now is these federal agents that are are watching this person are they now have you in their pocket, right? So now they're going to approach you and they're going to want you to wear a wiretap. They're going to, after they lay out all of the facts that this gentleman just, just provided to you, they're going to say, listen, you're going away for 10 years. The mandatory minimum is 10 years. So no matter what you have, you're looking at 10 years in prison right now, unless you decide to help us. That means yet you have to wear a wire. We want you to set up your brother, your cousin, whoever it was. We, we need testimony. If he's already, if they already have all the evidence they need on him, then that puts you in even more of a bind because now you're going to have to go out and set up people that you don't even know. You know, they'll, they'll grind you out. They'll, they'll use you for every little bit of information that they can get out of you. And then they'll just discard you. And this is what is is reaping havoc on our communities. It, it, it wreaked havoc on, on the minority communities. And now it's starting to work into the middle class because it's already chewed up all the, the minority communities, all the low income, quote unquote, high crime area communities. Um, one thing I want to ask is you up there in the Fourth Circuit, how does because the Fourth Circuit isn't a precedent circuit, right? Right. Well, you know, the Fourth Circuit, you know, is probably more known for inside and outside of the legal community as being the most conservative um, federal circuit. Um, you have, in comparison, the Ninth Circuit um, out California on the West Coast is considered to be the most liberal mm -hmm. um, 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 circuit. So when you're talking about laws, that um, are found to be supportive of law enforcement that oftentimes are um, not pro-defendant, uh, not pro-citizen rights. Um, those usually come out of the Fourth Circuit. 
um, in the Ninth Circuit just being its complete opposite, um, at least by way of reputation. And most legal observers would um, probably agree with my assessment uh, with that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And how, how, how are you, your views on the 11th? I'm in the 11th Circuit. Well, you know, the 11th Circuit, at least um, it, by way of reputation, doesn't have a reputation of being extreme one way or the other. Um, certainly nowhere near as conservative as the Fourth Circuit or nowhere nearly as liberal as the Ninth Circuit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. Going back, because I'd asked you about um, your, the conspiracy charges. So you had, you, you, you said there was thousands. Out of those thousands, how many of those have went to trial? Oh, um, I would say I probably had percentage somewhere. wise. Percentage wise, probably about 10%. Um, 10%. Gone, yeah, but about 90% uh, or better normally are going to be resolved by some type of plea. Um, because as you've already pointed out, the risk for going to trial is usually pretty great. Um, very few people turn down that option to cooperate with law enforcement to try to improve their situation, um, maybe at the expense of others. Um, so that often leads to a lot of, you know, plea negotiations in cases being resolved by guilty pleas. About 10%, um, and even, even that might sound low to your listeners, that only 10% of my cases where people are charged with conspiracy go to trial. But in comparison to most of my colleagues, that's pretty high. Mm -hmm. uh, because there are, you know, I know uh, colleagues of mine who've never had a conspiracy case go to trial. Um, because again, the deck is really stacked against you when it comes to conspiracy. Um, by definition, a prosecutor only has to prove that two or more individuals agree to do something that is against the law and that at least one quote unquote overt act was committed. That is one person did one thing in furtherance of the conspiracy. You don't have to be that one person to have done that overt act. All you have to have been shown is to have been a part of the agreement in some way, shape, or form. The scenario you laid out about family members, I've confronted that many times. And more often times, um, in the non-family members scenario, it's usually a significant other, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, um, a wife, um, something of that nature, where, yes, you do something that on its face may be relatively innocent, um, someone who you may be very close to is involved in selling drugs. Um, you live with that person. Um, one of their drug dealing partners drops by one day. He's not there. You're there. Um, the person gives you a package and say, hey, can you give this to your boyfriend when he returns? You accept the package without even looking into it. Um, you, 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 know, you pass it along to your boyfriend. Brianna and Taylor. And that's enough. And that's all it takes, okay? Um, your boyfriend, you know, gives you some money and says, hey, honey, can you please deposit this in the bank for me? Um, you make the deposit, you think nothing of it. It's not in your account. It's in an account completely, exclusively controlled by him. That's enough to bring you into the conspiracy, all right? And, and, and I say Brianna Taylor because I'm glad we, we, we broached on this because this right here was in America's face. And this is why America needs to wake up, right? This was in America's face. What we witnessed is what conspiracy does. 
And as I've laid out in prior prior shows, because I have a couple episodes with with a, an, another prominent attorney out here in, in Tampa by the name of Courtney Benson, and we mm-hmm. go into detail about this, but specifically speaking about Breonna Taylor, what conspiracy does is it takes away the human element. It takes it has no empathy. It doesn't it it doesn't show the compassion or the understanding or the elements of what we as low income people, people that are just trying to survive every day, what we go through on on a daily basis. And what ends up happening is you have a Breonna Taylor that is dating a, a drug dealer, right? And as the gentleman just laid out, uh, a man comes by, drops a package off. There's a cop that's investigating. He just takes a picture of her accepting this package. I'm not saying this is what happened with Breonna Taylor. I'm just kind of using her as in a, in a general scenario type form because I don't know the specifics of that case. So, but what I am specifically speaking to is the fact that now because she has became part of this conspiracy, she's no longer just a girlfriend trying to find love or whatever was going on in her life. Right. Now what she is, is, is a co-conspirator that's involved in who knows what this conspiracy is involved in. So now when they're getting ready to go do their raid on this house, it's not, well, listen, we have a girlfriend in the house. We don't know how. It's, listen, we have co-conspirators in the house. The conspiracy has murders. It has this amount of drugs. There's guns in this conspiracy. So now when these cops are going to do this raid, they're on this high. They're thinking that they're going in here against a bunch of terrorists, essentially, right? And what happens is what happens. And, and I feel that these are, these are the, the residuals of what conspiracy does. Yeah, I mean, completely can totally, um, you know, destroy your life. I remember the Breonna Taylor case because it was a, it was a great example of not just how conspiracy laws can be abused, but what her um, case really, really came to symbolize is how draconian and how unfair um, the federal sentencing guidelines were at the time um, when they were mandatory in nature and judges had no discretion. Um, they were required to impose sentences within those guideline ranges. So her sentencing judge, while he had sympathy for her and felt as though given her role in the conspiracy that she didn't deserve um, the nearly 30 year sentence that she originally received, but because he had no choice um, because of the application of mandatory minimums uh, along with the federal sentencing guidelines, which at that time, Um, they were mandatory, uh, meaning that the judges had no discretion. Um, Thank God, um, years later, um, the Supreme Court came out with a series of cases that essentially now have removed the mandatory nature of the federal sentencing guidelines. And judges, once again, have a, a greater amount of discretion, not complete discretion, but they certainly have a greater amount of discretion and what they had back when her case came through the system. Um, And that was a Virginia case. Um, That Mm -hmm. was a case that was here in the Fourth Circuit Um, and and before a district court um, that I practiced regularly before. Ah, And and I'm glad that you said that because I came through during Booker and Fan Fan. And Mm -hmm. um, before or after? Right in the midst of it. I, I, I... 
was charged before and sentenced after. So it was all still up in the air as to what it meant. Yeah. 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 And, and my, my judge, um, he stated that even though that there's a myth going around that now he has more power that he don't have to follow the mandatory minimums and Mm -hmm. such. And he, and his viewpoint on that was that it was still a myth that they still have to follow by that. So now all of these years later, now that this has been established, I'm asking you, are you seeing judges utilize this power that, that they have now? Are they more apt to just be more focused on the case at hand? Well, you know, the, the true problem is that it's not even across the board. Um, so I practice in multiple um, jurisdictions, federal jurisdictions. Um, and what you find in one might not necessarily be the same in another. Um, for example, in the District of Columbia, um, those federal judges there tend to be a little bit more liberal. Um, they tend to, you know, give more individualized sentencing treatment um, to each particular defendant, and they use their discretion. Um, in Virginia, not so much. Um, the judges are still, even though they appreciate that they're not required to give a sentence within the advisory guideline range, they still more often than not do. Okay, they more often than not do. Um, the Department of Justice keeps great statistics. Uh, well, I'm sorry, the administrative office for um, the judicial branch keeps great statistics on each particular judge as well as each particular district and each particular circuit on the rate of deviations um, where sentences within the guidelines are not uh, imposed. Um, And what you'll find if you look these statistics up, they're available online, uh, you can do a search for them. You'll find in certain districts, we still are seeing that the majority of times judges give sentences within the guideline range, even though they're no longer required to do so. Um, And then you have other judges in other districts where they more often than not deviate from the um, advisory guidelines. And sometimes it really depends on the offense too. Um, So in drug cases, um, a lot of times you'll find some judges will exercise their discretion to impose sentences um, below the advisory guideline ranges. And then you'll have other judges where that might be the case with financial crimes. Um, So it's not really a one size fit all. Um, I find that problematic, um, troubling, um, because I, you know, I'm a firm believer that if you commit an offense in California, um, you should get the same sentence uh, or be treated the same as if you committed the offense in Florida, New York, D.C., Wyoming. It should be the same. Um, So it is troublesome to me that we don't have that even hand across the board approach. Well, this is this is what I'm hoping to, to digest into today, because, you know, there's so many shows and there's so many podcasts and there's so many videos of us talking about what the problem is, but there's there's no solutions. Right. And and I feel an overwhelming sense of people who. We, we don't know where to even begin with. You know, I started I started an organization trying to help with reentry. And me being through what I've gone through, right? I've went through federal trial. It was a two-week trial. And it was a trial on 
uh, conspiracy, no evidence whatsoever, none whatsoever, no drugs, no nothing. It was what you call ghost dope. And it mm -hmm. was just a, a bunch of people. Um, some I knew, some I've never even seen before in my life that was getting up and they were painting a story. It was a play. The whole process was a play. And um, I'm, I'm very passionate about that because I don't want to come across as one of these people that were coming out and saying, you know, oh, I was wronged and, and this and that. I did what I did. I was a, I was a bad kid. I, I needed a certain type of love that I wasn't getting at home. Um, and uh, I just made many bad choices in my life, but I was just a kid that got into a lot of trouble early and was already being established as a trouble kid. What we're finding out here in Pasco County now is uh, out in Pasco County is that the sheriff's office has been keeping a record. You may have seen this in the news. I don't know about up there, but the sheriff's office has been keeping a record of children who have been delinquent in school and they keep them on a criminal watch list. And they were doing this. Now I'm finding out all through my, my childhood. And it kind of explains a lot as to interactions that I was having because I was already known as a troublemaker. That's how I was viewed as um, any time law approached me. I was already confronted as a troublemaker. And um, I was just a kid, man. I was just a kid who was living a fictitious life. Um, I wasn't doing anything absorbent. I was living in a, in a humble little two-bedroom two apartment barely making the bills. I didn't own anything. I was, I was renting buddy buy right furniture, things of that nature, you know? Yeah. And next thing I know, I'm wrapped up in this quote unquote conspiracy yeah. you know, of five kilos or more. I've yeah. never seen that amount of, of weight in my life. You know? Yeah. And, and now I'm wrapped up in this and the, the sad part about it was, is I was overwhelmed, right? I was so overwhelmed because this wasn't like anything that I've ever experienced before. It was, it was nothing like any state charge that I've experienced. And in my ignorance, my, my youthful ignorance, I had no idea that I was even capable of catching a federal charge, you know, because I'm, when I'm thinking feds, I'm thinking big time. I'm thinking wait. You know, I'm thinking mafioso, I'm thinking kingpin, you know, I'm thinking at best, I've, I've never gotten caught selling drugs. I've, I've never had a drug charge. At best, I'm thinking two or three years in the state for what I'm doing, you know? Yeah, no, that's, that's, uh, you know, we, we, we see that so often, um, you know, five keys or more, you know, wow, that's tough. That's tough because yeah. you know yeah. now you you were facing the mandatory minimum ten to life. Um, yeah, man, ten to life. And now the thing of it is, is that this is the pressure that was on me at twenty seven years old. I just had a baby, you know. Um, I have I have no knowledge of anything. I don't even know how life works. You know, I'm just right. out there, just just hand the hand the hand the mouth mm -hmm. is all I'm doing. You know, and now I'm wrapped up in this here, and and my family you know, bless them. We, we all poured everything we could into an attorney. Um, and it would, like I said, it was just all, it was a play. The whole thing was a show. Yeah. 
you know, yeah. and, and, and this ended up turning into a 40 man indictment. These were mm. four, these were 40 kids, right? All of us were kids that we all went to school together. We all just grew up in this little small town together. And the, this is all it was. And it turned into a 40 man conspiracy indictment and everybody just turned on everybody you yeah. know yeah. everybody turned on everybody i was the only one to go to trial wow i was wow. the only one to go to trial i was caught up in something i had no idea what was going on all i knew was i was not guilty of what they were saying that i was i was doing yeah um, i had no problem admitting you know to what i was doing because I've always been somebody that when I was caught, I was caught. I always owned up to what I did. I always laid in my own bed. I don't believe in telling yeah. on other people. I do not believe on sending other people to prison because I don't want to lay in my bed. Yeah. You know, so that was, that was a moment that I had everybody around me telling me, my own family members, friends that I thought were friends, everybody telling me, cooperate just tell them what they want mm -hmm. do what they want and i and and it came down to a point to where i had to look myself in my eyes by myself in the bathroom and ask myself can i do that can i yeah. live the rest of my life knowing that i had to do this now keep in mind i've already spoken to the federal agents and they offered me an open plea Right. Because I told them that that cooperation was out, out of the out of the door. Mm -hmm. What am I looking at besides that? They told me it was an open plea. Now, what an open plea is, is I'm just giving away uh, my fight. I'm just saying, you know what? I'm just saying that I'm guilty. I don't want to cooperate. I don't want to do anything, but I am guilty right. of this charge. And it leaves up to the discretion of the court to do whatever they want to do with me. And. I lose all my constitutional rights to appeal, and it doesn't matter if anything comes out, any constitutional law after that comes forward, I can't even appeal that. What I get is what I get, and I'm stuck with it, and I have no idea what I'm going to get. This, is, this was my offer, right? Now, if I cooperated, I, the world opens up to me, I would probably do maybe two years, three years, uh -huh. and my other option is going to trial. And they sat there and they told me, they laid it out in front of me. They say, if you go to trial, we're going to give you life. And they showed me how they were going to give it to me. Now, this is the, the picture that they painted to me. At the end of the day, I had to make the decision. What was I going to do? And I chose the decision that I, I, I've always told myself that I'm willing to die for what I believe in. And this was the decision that I made. Right. Did you have did, did you have the resources to retain competent counsel? Did you rely on court appointed public defender? What was your situation there? So I, I got a court appointed attorney from the beginning. And um, the sad part about it is, is he was the most honest with me. You know, when I went in and I sat down with him and, and I asked him, what are my chances of probation? He just held up a big fat zero. And he uh -huh. told me he laid out the mandatory minimum guidelines to me. And he explained to me that this is what you're facing. You're facing 10 years right now. 
as we sit here. If you sign this piece of paper as a plea, you're, you got 10 years, and then we can work out wherever from there. So his suggestion was that um, I speak to the agent. Now, what where I started to lose trust in him is when he told me that he has a connection with the lead agent on my case. That's mm -hmm. where I started to lose trust with him. So, But at that time, I had absolutely no knowledge of what they had against me. But me being the person that I am, which I don't want to get into high detail about that, but me being the person that I am, I'm a very detail-oriented person. I'm ADD, and I have a high attention to detail. And trust me when I say that the time through the time lapse of all of this occurring, I've went through every encounter that I've had with every person that was caught up in this, right? I've sat in my room and just for hours, just went through every phone call, every, just in my mind. Mm -hmm. So I kind of had a general idea of what they could have had on me. Right. Right. Um, which ended up playing out to the, the most egregious acts, which was just one phone call. It's essentially one phone call that I talked very <laughs> stupid over the phone. I knew that this is what they were going to hold against me. And this is what they tried to, to persuade me with. And so what ended up happening with this attorney is, is I, so his recommendation is I go in and I speak with the agent and I go in and it's the agent. It's, it's a room full of people, right? Again, it's, this place was in a sports authority in downtown, you know, and, and we had to go through the sports authority through some, you know, uh, inspector gadget door. And then it's laid out as a, a federal, it's a whole federal unit. Right. Yeah. And there is a customs agent. There's a, the prosecutor, which is a very, very prominent prosecutor. Let me, we'll get into that at the agent. And then my attorney. Now, uh, they give their spiel, their whole spiel about everybody that sat where I sat and everything that they've given them and uh -huh. uh, how this is the, you know, this is the ship and I'm on the dock. You know, they give me this whole rundown, right? Yeah. At this point, I'm starting to grow rebellious, right? I'm starting to soldier up, I guess now, because I'm not liking what I'm seeing. I'm not trusting it. And I'm starting to go internal. I'm starting to trust only nobody but myself. Right now. Without any warning, my attorney at that time turns to me and says, okay, tell him what you know. So I'm stuck there and I'm sitting there and I'm like, well, what do you mean? Tell him, tell him what, what do you mean? Tell him, <laughs> tell him what, what I, you know, so the agent takes over and he says, okay, let me explain to you. He says, this is what you, we know you were doing, blah, 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 blah. So I tell him, I said, well, that's not true at all, you know? So the, uh -huh. agent, the agent tells me, he says, okay, he says, this isn't Hollywood, right? He says, this is real life. He says, when the feds have you, they're ready to go to trial right now. This isn't state where we build a case against you. All the evidence that we have, we've already processed. We've already went through a mock trial. We can already give you this, this time. So if you lie to us one more time, this is him telling me now, if you lie to us one yeah. more time, yeah. then the, all deals are off, meeting's over. Right. What am I to do? Right? I'm a 28-year-old kid. I have yeah. no idea what I'm in. I don't trust anybody in the room, not even my own attorney. 
So I look at him and, and the only way I know how, and I told him to pretty much kiss my ass, you know, I looked at my attorney, I said, you're fired. And I said, we're going to trial. And I wrote my, my, you know, I drew my line yeah. in the sand. Yeah. And, and I'm the type of individual as hard headed as I've been through my freaking life, man, that when I draw that line in the sand, I just don't cross it, you know? Right. And, and that was it for me. And, and from that point on, they were trying to do everything that they could do to persuade me into pleading out, which bolstered my confidence even more. They were sending family members that I had on, on my ex-wife's side at the time. She was caught up in it. She's coming to me day in and day out, begging me, Thomas, please do it for your family. Do it for your family. And trying to put a guilt trip on me to one day I asked her, I said, are you getting something from them if you get me to plea out? Like, are you getting benefit from that? And she said, well, yes, I'm going to get benefit from that. You know, they're going to cut me some time off and this and that. And that keyed me into start realizing that this is a dirty game that these people are playing. Yeah. They don't play yeah. fair. So yeah. I, I say all that to say, right, that at the end of the day, I, I didn't stand a chance. I'm in the middle of a play and, and I'm the guest star now because everybody, especially inmates that are in jail looking, they love a person like me, some ignorant person to come to them, what go to trial. That's free time. That's what they say in the County. <clears throat> yeah. That's free time. We got a dummy that's going to trial. <sighs> Let me in on that. Right. And, and that's what they did. And come to find out afterwards, Right. Let me sum this up by saying so now I'm 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 found guilty at a two week mock trial, just a kangaroo court for the for the most part and thrown in. And now. I have a lot of people that are coming to me, they put me in county, I'm waiting on sentencing, I have a lot of individuals that are coming to me out of the blue that heard about my case. This is a very, very large case. Right. Very well known. Mm hmm. I have people coming to me, Robert, that are telling me how the agent was in the, in the jailhouse showing my picture to people, trying to get people to testify against me, how they were keeping all of the defendants together in the same cells, in the same pod, right? And how they would sit around and play spades together. And the, 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 the main, uh, the kingpin, was telling everybody what to say, you know, and, and that's how it was played out in trial, you know, because again, yep. you know, I, I didn't know any of these people and I never had no dealings with none of them. Uh, you know, they made it seem like I was walking into houses full of people just buying, you know, uh, uh, doing illegal activities in front of, and that's how they painted it. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, unfortunately I've confronted those situations. Um, much too often, um, you know, and that gets us into another area. I don't know if you wanted to get there, but this whole purchasing testimony from, you know, um, co-conspirators and, 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 and co-defendants and how that's abused, um, how so many individuals um, find themselves between a rock and a hard place and the only way of being able to reduce their exposure is to tell the prosecutor something that he wants to hear uh, and of course, if you've already been charged, 
Um, it doesn't take long for that person to figure out that you might be their ticket out of jail, um, their get out of jail free card. And even if the person doesn't know that in the beginning, um, if they have an attorney, um, that attorney is certainly going to explain to them that, you know, if you want to get from underneath this mandatory minimum, if you want to reduce your amount of time, all you need to do is come up with a story about so-and-so and so-and-so. And there's a lot of ways people can gain information inside about your case. A lot of it is on the public docket now. Um, you know, before the internet, when I first started, um, you had to go to the courthouse, you had to go to the clerk's office to look up someone's file. Yeah. Uh, but now you can do it with a few uh, keystrokes yeah. uh, from the palm of your hand. And you can find out what they're charged with, what they've alleged to have done. Um, and then you can say, oh, yeah, I know about that. You know, I was there when he did so-and-so. You know, it can it can be done. So, so what ended up happening, right, was now they ended up moving me. Prosecutor got win because I, I started going to my attorney and I started telling my attorney, which I ended up getting a paid attorney, right? Yeah. Um, so I'm going to him and I'm explaining to him, listen, I got guys coming up to me telling me these things about how the agents were doing this and how they're all in the same pod together and they're sharing these stories. So he told me, he said, get affidavits from them, right? Mm -hmm. So I started collecting affidavits, right? The prosecutor caught wind of this and she had me move from that jail to a jail that was a uh, hundred miles away right mm -hmm. at the bottom of the state i get there the same thing starts occurring i have yeah. inmates there coming to me oh you're on this case yeah i was with this co-defendant he was telling me how you know the agent showed him a picture and he didn't even know you and blah yeah. blah yeah. You know, i got their affidavits they moved me from there right to another location in the state i get there same thing happens Right. I have a total of about 25 affidavits. Wow. This is how many affidavits I have now. What my attorney is doing now is he filed a motion based on newly discovered evidence. Right. And my motion got granted. It's going to be heard now. So now in preparation. Right. Get this now. Now in preparation of, of this this motion coming up. They had to pull all of the the uh, witnesses from the original trial out of their camps, bring them back. This is a big deal now, right? Mm -hmm. I was approached by a co-defendant that I knew was a co-defendant, but I didn't know who he was. And he came to me with a sob story about how his life is turned upside down and all of these things, right? Really played to my emotions, right? I told him, don't worry about it, man. I said, listen. I said, I got this motion going, right? I said, I got all of these affidavits. I said, this whole thing can be thrown out based on prosecutorial misconduct, what the agent's been doing throughout the whole process. I said, we can get new trials on all of this stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So he's like, yeah, man, I'm with you. I'm with you. What do I have to do? I said, all I need is an affidavit because he's telling me the same thing, right? So, he's, right. so, he, so this is what he tells me. He says, man, let me just go call my grandfather and check with him because I don't know if I want to get wrapped up in something like that because I pled out, right? This is what he told me. I said, well, this is your choice, right? 
little do I know later was his grandfather was the lead agent. So I don't know any of this at the time. So now my motion comes up. Mind you, I have two state. <laughs> I, had, I I love these guys. I, I have to find them. I had two state inmates, right? One was facing a life sentence. He was in the middle of a murder trial, right? Uh, appeal. He was back on appeal. He risked all of that to come testify for me at my motion. Don't even know me from Adam or Eve. Wow. This is how well they believed. They knew how wrong I was, that these guys were willing to jeopardize their own appeals to come testify for what they've heard and saw. Something happened on the way to court that, that morning because when they came in, both of them wanted to plead the fifth. They didn't even want to talk. Wow. I don't know what happened on the van ride there, but something happened because when they came to court that morning, they were completely dejected. They were shut down and they did not even want to talk. Right. Wow. The last witness to come forward was, you guessed it, the, the, the guy that played to my emotions. He came up, got on the stand, and he said that I tried to buy his testimony, right? That I tried to buy his statement with commissary, and that this is what I, how I approached him is that I had bought all of these affidavits and that I was collecting all of these affidavits from people. Wow. This was his testimony. The judge's ruling was if I bought his testimony, I bought everybody else's testimony. And, and whoever I didn't buy are just a bunch of felons who are just trying to help another felon out. This is, this is what the judge said. Wow. Therefore, he finds the merits uh, uh, frivolous and threw it out. Wow. And wow. Off, the, off, the, off, off I went for 12 and a half years. Wow. That's an amazing story. Um, I wish I could say, listening to it, it was truly unique. Um, but I've, you know, seen it happen too often, too, too often. many times, too many times. Yeah. And, and I share this and, and I'm not one to really share, but I share this for the importance of knowing this is what conspiracy is. This is what, like the gentleman just said, this is too often. It's going on in all yeah. of our neighborhoods, all of our communities. You're stripping 30 to 40 people out on crimes that was never even intended to be a conspiracy. Yeah, yeah, you know? no doubt about it, man. Now, why is this happening? This is where we're going to get into the nitty gritty. Now, I, I do know a little bit about Mr. Jenkins' history, and I know he comes from the hood, right? That's right, that's right. I come, I, I come from the hood, too. So in the hood, what we're going to say is we're, we're about to get hood up in here, right? <laughs> We're going to get okay. a hood up in here. So we're going to get to the business as to why this is happening to the nitty gritty. Now, uh, just recently, you know, Biden came out and uh, canceled contracts with private prisons. Right. Mm -hmm. We're hearing everywhere about privatization in prisons, about taking the privatization out of prisons. Everybody rejoiced when this this bill was was signed first and foremost there's not that many private prisons second from my experience and this is only my experience everybody was trying to get to the private prisons because you were treated a little better. bit better 
in right. the private prisons. You were able to yeah. order food out once a week from either Pizza Hut, KFC. You had a better yeah. living yeah. style. So this is not privatization in prisons, right? What I really want to get into <clears throat> is the business. I do have a book that I'm, I'm, I'm almost through with I'm writing called Conspiracy, and I'm going to get into all of that in, in the book, the conspiracy and the business behind it. Now, what I want to touch on is if you've ever been indicted, if you've ever had any kind of legal battle whatsoever, you'll know that when you're served an indictment, your name is in all capital letters. That's right. Why are you? Why is your name in all capital letters? You know, that's a that's that's a that's an interesting question. I've never even given a lot of thought to it, other than um, um, I merely believed that it was to clearly distinguish who the defendant was um, or defendants are in the indictment. Mm. But beyond that. I've never really given a whole lot of thought to it. I don't think there is a legal reason for it, mm -hmm. um, it being done. Um, but certainly in at least the federal system, that is the way that it is styled. Mm. Okay, so th this is also going to lead into uh, a question that there, there, there's a lot on the inside that us convicts, we discuss and we talk about. And we okay. talk about uh, attorneys, you know, defense attorneys as well. And there's a, a common knowledge amongst us that first duty to the court is what the attorney is. Your first duty is to the court, right? So with that being said, there's, there's a common belief amongst us that you're not truly there to represent us that your first representation is to the court, your first duty is to the court. What does that mean? Well, I, you know, I, I certainly can understand that. And it's not the first time I've heard that from um, clients or defendants or people who've been through the system. I don't necessarily see it that way. Um, certainly as a lawyer, as a member of the bar, you have an obligation to zealously represent your clients within the bounds of the law. Um, that is that you have to still be respectful of the law and your professional obligations and zealously represent your client. So that means if there's a conflict between zealously representing your client and doing something that might be offensive to the law or offensive to your ethical and professional responsibility, you can't cross that line. You can't cross that line. So in that sense, I can see why someone could interpret that as meaning that well, your greatest allegiance is actually to the court and the system and not necessarily me. I see it differently um, because I tell all of my clients that, look, let's put you and your interests aside. Let's consider that I am a selfish, self-centered, egomaniac attorney. I only care about myself, right? Well, you can benefit from that too because I'm only successful. I'm only going to enrich myself. I'm only going to improve my professional standing by producing good outcomes for my clients. That's it, right? So if that's my motive, if that's my interest, then you benefit from that too, because the only way I'm gonna serve my interest is by producing a good outcome 
for you, okay? So I don't think that lawyers um, put um, their own um, allegiance to the court ahead of their clients. It's just the fact of the matter is that we have to operate within the bounds of the law. Mm-hmm. So if, um, if paying off a witness, for example, might be in your best interest, but that's against the law. Unfortunately, I can't do something that's against the law, right? Um, but I'm charged with um, having to provide zealous representation to you. Um, and I think most lawyers, most lawyers, good lawyers, actually work to do just that. Um, I think the problem comes in the fact that the legal profession is just like any other profession. You have good ones and you have bad ones. And and unfortunately, the bad of any profession often causes stain on the entire profession. Not everyone selling a car is a bad car salesman, but most of us have confronted bad car salesmen. So Mm -hmm. car salesmen can get a bad name. Not every lawyer is a bad lawyer, but you do have bad lawyers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and unfortunately, that casts you know, a stain on our entire profession. Well, and, and I do agree with that. I do agree with the duality in, in, in the psychology of, of criminal justice, I guess, between you know, a criminal defense attorney and a prosecutor, you know, a prosecutor, the prosecutor of mind, I, I don't understand at all, you know, yeah. but so with, with a defense neither attorney, do I, neither do I, talk, you know, I've never been a prosecutor and, and I, and people our VP is, me, our VP is a prosecutor. Yeah, yeah, I know. And people have asked me for many years, um, why not? Um, um, would you consider being a judge? Um, those are two jobs that I, I doubt I will ever have any experience in um, one in being a prosecutor. I just couldn't bring myself uh, to cause someone to be torn away from their family, um, their friends, their loved ones. Um, that's not for me. I, that's, that's not something that would make me feel good. It's not something that would be professionally rewarding and satisfying for me. Um, a judge has the dubious responsibility of imposing sentences upon people. Um, And for the same reason, I couldn't bring myself to being a prosecutor. I couldn't bring myself to being a judge. Um, Also, you know, importantly, I feel as though that there are more than enough talented people who aspire to do both of those jobs. Uh, And honestly, I don't think there are enough who actually aspire to do what I do. And that is provide good, competent legal representation for people who are accused of committing crimes. Uh, the talent pool doesn't run as deep on this side of the courtroom as what it does on that side of the court. Well, no, because you're on the losing side. Most, yeah. more often than not, um, where it's not a, a, a great way. You mentioned our vice president. When's the last time you heard of a former defense attorney being elected to Congress, uh, being elected mayor, um, being elected senator? Um, it's not the pathway. Uh, to those career options and, uh, as being a federal, a former prosecutor. Right. And, and this is what I want. And, and, and how you just laid it out is, is a perfect segue, right. Into, again, like I was saying that duality, because the, the defense attorney's mind, right. Where I see 
the, the, the bad attorney coming in at is more ego of self, more of how can I drive my career further? His right. I, I, I can't see a position where a defense attorney's obligation would be to selling out his defendant to the court. Right. Having right. More, I, I don't see that in, in almost any circumstance. Now, what we do have with criminal um, defense attorneys is what you call horse trading. Right. right. Where they they'll take somebody that's a little less uh, publicly known, a little. Uh, uh, however, whatever the case is, and and they may swap them for something that may enhance their. Their record a little bit. You right. have a lot of that with criminal defense attorneys is the horse trading. The prosecutor mind, again, is, is one that needs to be studied like it needs to be studied. And as you said, you have to be almost bred, born and bred to be a prosecutor, you know, because I've never met a prosecutor who did not want to prosecute 100 percent of the time. Yeah, well, you know, definitely, I think that, you know, um, we're all shaped by our experiences, right? Um, so sometimes people um, are brought up under a certain environment um, that leads them to choose one career path over another. Um, certainly, I know that um, growing up in the hood, growing up in public housing, um, seeing friends and family members on the wrong side of the law certainly shaped and influenced me in deciding to want to be a criminal defense attorney. Uh, it's the only thing I can ever remember seriously wanting to do with my life. Um, so I'm very passionate about it. Those people who choose to be prosecutor, I've met many of them. Not all of them are bad people, but they're very passionate about being prosecutors. And some of them, you sit down and you really talk to them. Some of them will explain to you that they're driven by the same thing I'm driven by. Right. Um, I believe I'm making my community better. Uh, by being the best criminal defense attorney I can be and helping people out who um, are being mistreated by the system. They believe that by being prosecutors and being aggressive and prosecuting cases that they're helping to make their communities better uh, by removing what they consider to be bad people off the street. And some of them will say, hey, look, Robert, um, the best thing about my job is that I get to ensure that people are not wrongfully prosecuted because I'm on the inside and I'm making those decisions as to who should be prosecuted and who should not. So it's, it's all about your perspective. Um, and I just say to them, if you're comfortable with that, then by all means, you do what you do. I'm very comfortable with what I do. Um, you know, most prosecutors, however, um, what they don't want to admit is that they don't have um, total discretion in determining who gets prosecuted or not. They all have someone who they have to answer to, right? They all have a superior. And sometimes they're forced to do some things that they may or may not agree with. I'm not in that position. Um, I have complete and total discretion as to who I represent. Um, I don't have to take on a particular case if I don't want to. Um, and when I do take on a case for a client, I, I can give it my all without wondering whether or not it's going to cost me my job because I don't work for anyone else. Well, and that's, and, and that's exactly it. I mean, again, it's like how you, it, it's how you laid it out is, is beautiful. I mean, it, it was, it was, it was perfect. 
It's, it's the perception of the person growing up in their mind state to whether they see a problem. You and, and the prosecutor saw a problem, but your experiences led you to believe that you can defend the problem where yeah. the, theirs was more as to attack the problem, right? And you, so you're attacking by defending they're attacking by, as you said, being aggressive with what they see as what the problem is. That's right. And we need prosecutors, right? Good ones. Listen, right. We need, well, good I mean, we, we need good people. That's right. You know, absolutely. It's, it's, absolutely. We, we just, and that's, that's the problem. Again, a lot of my show deals with parenting and teaching our children where we're going wrong. You're teaching the parents where we're going wrong with our children. It, it, it starts with us. I'm responsible yes. for, for a lot of the problems as much as anybody else. You know, um, my responsibility is I, I, I was ignorant. I didn't choose a better life for myself. I made excuses for myself. And then I brought a child into this world under those pretenses. Um, I, I was never a good parent and I left my child. So, so I am the cause. That's how I look at it. I'm the cause of what I see the problem is. This is where right. this is where my experience is coming from when I'm sharing with people like this is what we have to change. I never separate myself from anybody that's going through anything because I've been that and I am that, you know, this is why I'm bringing you today, because yeah. I've been in the belly of this beast, you know, yeah. and, and I know how ugly it is. I've sat there and I've watched on TV how the bureau, uh, the director of, of prisons, the Bureau of Prisons would go up on TV and and blatantly tell these people in the Senate, the House, that there are no uh, three man cells and people and it's a myth and all of this. And I'm living in a three man cell, you know. Right. Right. There was just a lot of realizations that I was caught up in a political world and I had no idea that I was. Yeah. Well, you know, one, you know, you should be commended with, uh, you know, your candor and in and, and your honesty and evaluating yourself. Um, that also speaks to why I do what I do. You know, I often tell my clients that just because I don't have a felony record doesn't mean I haven't done bad things. Um, and I recognize that um, I'm not morally superior um, to someone just because they got caught and I didn't. All right, we both may have done the same thing. And in my pathway to getting where I am in this station in my life, um, don't for one second um, believe that I haven't crossed certain lines because we all have, all right? We all have at one point in time. The system, the system is designed for you to cross those paths. You know, I say to, to individuals, no one can say um, that they would never commit a crime because that's just not true. If you believe that, you're just fooling yourself. Right. All right. If placed in the right conditions, the right circumstances, we all would. All right. We all would. Um, whether or not you choose to cross certain lines has, thing, has more to do with risk tolerance and your belief that your crime will go undiscovered. Mm -hmm. There are very few people, if given the opportunity to take uh, a bag full of cash, a million dollars, no questions asked with no one looking would not do it. 
all right, would not do it. The average person would do it, all right? Um, and that's just a reality. So we're not morally superior to one another. Um, one person just got caught and you didn't get caught. Um, but if we all take a close examination of our own lives and we're honest with ourselves, we know that we've done certain things that if it was discovered at the time we committed those acts, um, we would be you know, also a convicted felon or find ourselves on the wrong side of the law. Um, I'm not proud of the worst things I've done in my life, um, but I acknowledge them. Um, they help to make me who I am. Um, they help me to look at people who have been charged with criminal offenses or even convicted and still see the human in them. And also always remind me that I'm no better, all right? I'm no better. Um, I've done a lot of things in order to get to where I am. And most people have, most people have. Everybody needs to remember the prisoner was one of Jesus's favorites. That's right, that's right. We all have fallen short of the grace. You know, and, and circling back now, so bringing this back around, you know, into the, the business aspect of it, you know, if you've been following my show for my listeners, then you know that how prisons in America were designed, how they were brought forth through the, you know, the, the emancipation, um, the use as far as to, to uh, keep slavery going. They had to get the railroads done, you know, slavery, the end of slavery couldn't have come at a worse time. You know, mm -hmm. they designed prisons to embody, you know, for the majority of the part, embody the black man to to keep him, to keep him building America. And prison, from the from its initial concept and its built, its structure has always been around a business of some sort right? It's always been around some sort of profitization, some sort of free labor, um, some sort of, of penal code that was used in order to, to bring production in some sort of sense. Prison has never been about rehabilitation. It's just as to recently, right, we have even been starting to talk about rehabilitation in prison. But there is no rehabilitation in prison unless it comes from the man himself, you know, um, and, and even that is is discouraged. And I promise you that. So. Getting into the privatization, as I mentioned earlier about, you know, the your name being in all caps. Corporations are in all capital letters, right? What I'm what I'm referring to is the civil code, the UCC. Right. Mm -hmm. the universal, the universal commercial code. And within that, right, each one of us is a bond in some sense. And when we get charged, right, when we get charged, we're worth a certain amount of whatever that charge carries. That's essentially what the bail is. The bail is essentially now this is what what we talk about on the inside. Right. That. Everything is is ran through a corporate a, a corporate entity. We become a corporate entity, and this is why our name is in all capital letters. Now, 
when you go into the court, you're not addressed, maybe afterwards, but the first address to you is defendant, right? They ask, right. will the defendant please rise? When the defendant, which you have already been accustomed to now, you've already been called a defendant, you've already ingrained in your head that you're a defendant now. So now it's already a custom that when the judge says, will the defendant rise, you automatically rise. So mm -hmm. Just out of assumption that everybody's talking about you, right? Now, when you rise, you connect yourself to this contract, right? Which is the, is the indictment because now you verify, right? I'm kind of getting into straw man. So now you're verifying that you are this corporate entity that is now being charged, right? Now they sweep you off, um, the money that they make off, off your name, your bond, taxes, all of that stuff each year that you're incarcerated. Um, the, the, the line goes on and on. So I say all of that. I'm just scraping the surface of that. But I say all that to say this is how you get judges um, sending people to prison because they're in on these bonds. They're, they're in on these contracts. They're, they're in on the stocks, if you will, you know, and um, of course, attorneys, this is where they get the, the moniker that attorneys are part of the court. They're all in on the, the shell game as well you know, the prosecutors and all of that. I say that to say how aware of you are or how aware are you of the, the UCC? Has it ever been brought to your attention? Um, you've already, we've already discussed that you're not aware too much out of the capitals of the name. But, right. but I, I, I say quickly because when I brought this up to my attorney, he turned ghost. He turned ashen and he told me, he said, that's crazy talk. He said, don't bring that to the court. Don't mention anything about that. If you say anything about that, they'll bury you. I know guys inside that are, I've, I've witnessed with my own eyes disappear in the middle of the night for filing liens against judges, which is what I want to ask you about as well. Mm -hmm. about inmates that are filing liens against judges because they're holding them. Uh, against their will, you know, hostage, essentially. So, yeah, you have the floor on that. Yeah, well, certainly, um, you know, I don't believe in my practice, the uniform, um, the, the, the UCC has ever been brought up, that has ever been um, suggested that it was relevant to a criminal prosecution. Um, there is no doubt that um, there is a lot of money in the criminal justice system being made, um, not just by private um, corporations um, with privatized jails, but also a lot of people don't know that state and local facilities also make money off of the federal uh, system because in many counties and many locations, there are no federal um, detention centers um, and the federal government pays state and local facilities to house federal inmates. And that helps to enrich the local um, economies, cities and, 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 and states. Um, so there's a lot of money. There's a lot of vendors, as I'm sure you experience, people bringing in the commissary, people bringing in the food. It's a um, gold mine. It's yeah, a it for, for, for a vendor, let me explain quickly, for a vendor to get a job 
vending in a in a prison environment right. is a gold mine because they're charging astronomical prices for these for these vendors. That's right. That's right. So because of that, um, there is a lot of money um, involved. There's just no question about it. I've never had the UCC again come up specifically, but there's no question. There's a lot of money that is involved in the system. And knowing that, right, that, I mean, these are incentives. How do we, where, where do we even begin at, Robert? Where do we even begin on changing this system? You know, I, I, I started to say earlier that, you know, I started this, 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 this company, you know, um, this community outreach, because I, I want to change reentry and I want to be there for reentry. But knowing what I know, it's it's placation. It's it's I can't do it. I can't sit here in front of these senators and these governors and, and placate to them about which law is going to be changed. When is this going to happen? Because I know it's I, I, it's 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 bullshit. It's an act. Yeah. It's just a play, you know, yeah. and, and I and I, I don't have time. I'm, I'm only on Earth here for another couple of years. I don't have time to be placating with this PC crap that America wants to fall under now. You know, yeah, I have well, brothers and sisters. I have brothers and sisters that are in there that need to come home. They deserve to come home. They're grandfathers, grandmothers, and they haven't even had the chance to be parents. People need to come home. Tamujin Kinsu is sitting in Michigan since 1987 as an innocent man, still getting denied clemency. This stuff needs to stop, man. Yeah, well, you know, it, re, re, criminal justice reform is, you know, a difficult subject um, because it's not something that gets politicians a lot of votes. It's not something that gets politicians a lot of attention. And the vast majority of American citizens um, who have not had close interactions with the system see nothing wrong with the system. OK, um, if you've never been charged with a criminal offense, a serious criminal offense, if you've never gone to jail, if you've never had someone close to you experience it, um, it's not something that gets much of your attention. Um, you, you don't see politicians campaigning on I'm going to be the one to clean up the criminal justice system. That's not you know, a popular thing. That's not going to get you a lot of votes um, saying that you're tough on crime saying that you're going to clean up the community by making sure all the bad people go to jail and go to jail for long periods of time. Those are the types of speeches that get you votes and that get you those types of attention. Uh, and when you disenfranchise those people who have been through the system and say, look, you can no longer vote. Your, 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 your voices, your beliefs, your views become irrelevant in our society. Um, so that's that's the real tough part about the system. Um, it's not until others who haven't had those uh, negative experiences with the system um, really get a glimpse of what it's like, um, the abuses that are there. And that's one of the reasons why podcasts and all media outlets like yours um, that give the opportunity for listeners and viewers to learn more about the system. Um, to, to see it from the inside, to see it from your perspective, to see it from my perspective, um, that you can gain enough traction 
um, that might actually produce some real true change. Um, but until that happens, and this is what I don't this is what I don't understand because it's it's like you said, and again, I, I blame government, I blame media, I blame all of this crap that's going on today with the stigma that they've painted on on the returning citizen, right? Mm -hmm. And and because of that stigma, it it doesn't allow you, right, the American, to sit back and say, we have two million people in prison, two million people. We have two million people in prison. Nowhere else in the universe, mm -hmm. aliens aren't locking their people up like that. I guarantee it. Here in America, the only place on earth, we have two million people incarcerated. That's incarcerated. I have to keep saying, because I, I need it to sink into the Americans. That's not even the people that are on probation. That's not even the people that are on house arrest. That's not even the people that have been through the system. That's currently what we have in prison. Right how, do, how does that not, how does your common blue collar everyday worker, right? That hates prisoners, hates crime because he's out here busting his ass every day and expects everybody to do the same. I hear you, I love you and I respect that. And you're absolutely correct, but not everybody can do that. Right. Right. But why is that blue collar worker not stepping back and saying all this work that I'm putting into? Why is there so much money going into keeping so many people incarcerated? Right. Like there's so many benefits to reducing incarceration. It has to wake up. It has to even if you believe in crime. You know, or, or, you know, you believe in the criminal justice system, even if you're one of the advocates for the crime bill that, that Biden put in place. Right. Even if you're one of those, you still have this is still touching you some kind of way. It's hitting your pockets and your taxes. You know, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. But, but people don't 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 feel it that way. They don't they don't they don't see it that way at all. Um, and that's know, the media's fault. It, it is because it drives this false narrative that everyone one who's in prison deserves to be in prison. Um, two, that everyone in prison is somehow represents a danger to those of us who are not in prison. Um, and as long as those myths are out there and resonating with the American public, we're going to continue down the same um, counterproductive path. Um, we know it doesn't work. It doesn't deter crime if, if, if that's the purpose of our prisons. It doesn't preclude more crime from occurring. Um, and it's a misuse of our resources in a variety of ways. But those are the basis for it. It's we, you know, the average American believes that everybody who's in jail deserves to be there. Uh, and everybody who's there is a danger to those of us who are not there. Um, that's what people believe. And that's, and that's, and, and, and that's the conspiracy mind in me is sitting here saying like, why am I going to get caught up in sitting down here with these senators and these governors who know that this is a business, right? Know that, that they don't want to end it. You know, I, I just can't do it. I just cannot look these people and, and, and I could be wrong. The person I may have in front of me may be a, a true 
person that wants to to create change, but I'm tired of it. I'm tired of hearing these people every four years getting up on stage talking about criminal justice reform. We need to do this. We need to do that. This guy gets in office. He signs 50, you know, 50, uh, 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 I get so damn pissed off, man. Yeah. You know, well, you know, again, you know, even, but yet, but yet people are still going to prison today. People are going to go to prison today under this crime bill. And and I don't believe that politicians we heard over the summer um, in response to Black Lives Matter movements and stuff like that, um, that they were sincere about true reform. Um, But it was a nice talking point. It was something that got you in front of cameras and something that sounded good to the voters. Um, But true criminal justice reform, look, for those of us who are inside the system, who see it um, every day, day in and day out, we know where the true problems lie, all right? It's, it's not that hard, all right, to figure out. Um, the problem is, is that there's not a real incentive, a real motive in order to correct the problem um, the, or the problems. Um, there just isn't that type of motive there. Right. Um, it's, it's, still all, it's still all PC, it's still all surface. Politicians say what they need to say in order to get elected, all right? Um, And what most of them realize is that once they get elected, very few people hold them accountable, all right? They can say whatever they need to say in order to get elected, and then once in office, their only motive at that point in time is how do I stay in office? And and that's our fault, right? That is our fault. That's our fault because, again, like I've been saying on my broadcast, right, it's our fault because we as Americans are so freaking distracted with so many different, whatever we want to distract ourselves from that, like you say, we don't pay attention to, you know, our, our, our local representatives. When the, when the checklist comes around, we just, we're part of a, we're part of an organization. We're part of a gang. We're either left or we're either right. I, I, we have no idea who this person is on the paper. We just know that he represents either the left or the right. If he's left, I'm voting on him. If he's right, yes. I'm not. Whatever. That's right. Don't even know who That's he right. is. And I That's think right. that these politicians know that the Americans don't care. You know, they know that at the end of the day, it's blah, 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 but they don't care. They just they vent. Care. They just vent out these emotions and we want this and we want that. And then they go Absolutely. home and they got their emotions out and then there's no change. That's right. You know, it's our fault. We have to start with our children, right? This, this, I, I don't even know where to go with this because it's, it's the soul of our country. It's the future of our country. Our country is in peril. We are at war and people don't even realize because they're so asleep. And it starts with you, the parent, teaching your child. By the time they reach middle school, they should know the Constitution. They should know their rights. You have to ask yourself as the parent, when, when our children go through the school system, why are they not learning the Constitution? Because they don't want you to know the Constitution. They don't want you to know the rights. They don't want you to know your rights. This is why they slip uh, laws in the middle of the night. The, 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 the stimulus that just came through, you know, they slipped through. Now it's a felony to illegally stream uh, media, right? What does that have to do with the stimulus package? And, and th- this is what they do. They, they slip these laws 
in under these 5,000, 10,000 page documents, right? Nobody reads, right? Nobody reads. We don't know, you know, so this is everything that has to come to a stop. And it's, and, and I'm sorry for getting so passionate, but it's our responsibility as a parent to teach our children. These are your rights. This is what allows you to go outside and play the way you want to. This document is what allows you to speak the way that you want to speak, what allows me to have a podcast, right? This is something we have to protect as the American citizen. We have to protect this by all costs. And yet when you watch videos on YouTube, people don't even know how many House of Representatives they are. They don't even know how many, they don't even know how many, how many seats are in, in, the, in the Supreme Court. They don't even That's know right. who the chief is. That's right. That's right. Well, you know, uh, and, and that's so true. Um, and I know you you probably experienced this too. Um, a lot of guys in jail. I mean, they didn't know any of that. They didn't know what a trial looked like, what their rights were. Um, you know, it, it's it's sad. It's sad in terms of how uninformed Um our society really is when it comes to these very important issues. Um, when someone finds themselves in my office sitting across from me and I have to explain to them the basics, the basics right. about what their rights are um, and what a trial looks like um, and what the laws are. Um, and it amazes me on and, and not me, sophisticated, highbrow stuff, but just basic stuff. And correct me if I'm wrong, right? By the time you get to this person, right, and uh, explain to them their basic rights, they've already put themselves in such a hole, right, that you now have to figure out how to dig their way out. That if they just right. known their rights, it that's would make right. your job so much easier. A lot, a lot, a lot easier. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. And it's just all, again, with education. Again, stop... And, I, and I'm guilty of it too. You know, again, I don't separate myself from it, but we have to stop riding jet skis all weekend, watching football all weekend. We have to stop pouring our energy into things that don't matter just because it makes us feel good, you know? Temporarily. Temporarily makes it Tem feel it, good. It's, it's right. a te temporary win, you know? And that's right. That's exactly what it is. So how can we dismantle conspiracy well i you know i think that um when jurors I, I think really the greatest impact in the system that we have as private citizens is when we are called upon to sit on juries um remember you know no prosecutor can get a conviction for in a felony case i'm certainly in federal court uh without a jury being persuaded um, that it's right to convict a person. If prosecutors in cases like yours or Breonna Taylor's and others that we've heard of um, did not get convictions, did not get 12 citizens to vote for convictions under certain circumstances, it would impact their approach and their uses of conspiracy laws. Um, politicians, we have to convince them that some of these um, conspiracy laws need to be rolled back and in and, and, and place um, in this right proper context as to when it is appropriate to use conspiracy laws. And right now we've just got too many abuses. Um, so private citizens, when you get called for jury duty, hey man, don't try to think how you can get out of it. 
Right. All right. How you can come up with an excuse where you don't um, have to participate. You should look forward to it because this is your opportunity to impact the criminal justice system. This is your opportunity to sit and listen to evidence, listen to a prosecutor's case and decide whether or not it's merit. Uh, meritorious and whether or not it should result in conviction. Remember, in order to convict someone, a jury verdict must be unanimous. Mm -hmm. You you as a private citizen have never, are never going to experience more power than when you have to sit in that jury box and you get to decide whether or not to convict a fellow citizen. All right. You don't have to convince your other 11 jurors to come along with you. Your vote alone can prevent that person from being convicted. No matter okay. what. And, and the thing of it is, is that again, you cannot, you have to be your own person. You cannot be persuaded. And in, in my event, they closed on a Friday afternoon uh, at, at, at I think 2.30 and these people deliberated in 15 minutes. You know, yeah. I, think, I think at the end of the day, they were tired. It was two weeks. These are people that are coming from different counties. Right? You know, because that's a tactic, right? Did you of realize course. that's a tactic? Of course, I know it's, it is. It's, it's, it's a tactic um, where, you know, you you know that jurors don't want to come back on Monday. They don't. All they right? don't spend um, all it, weekend sequestered. There, there, there's, there's a lot of, um, again, empirical data out there that suggests that jurors are more prone to come back with guilty verdicts on a Friday afternoon than perhaps any other day of the week. Um, and that's the reason why they just don't want to come back. Um, and therefore, if you've got one or two holdouts, they usually cave in at that time. Hey, Tom, I do want to let you know, I do have an 1130 mm-hmm. call that I need to make that I'm expecting from a client of mine um, who's um, detained and I'm yeah. not going to be able to call them back. So I'm going to have to take that at 1130. Okay. Sure. Absolutely. So then, okay. then just to wrap up quickly then, because it, it, it gives us what, four minutes. So, yes. yeah, I mean, that's, that's it in a nutshell is, is I, I just want to say conspiracy. I understand, right. I understand the MO behind it. And I would have to almost say, I agree with it. It's almost conspiracy is almost like the movie minority report. It's, it's knowing that a crime is going to be committed and stopping the crime from being committed. If we can stop a bank robbery from happening, that these people are planning on going in and just killing everybody or whatever, I'm all for that. But again, it's like, it's like the attorney said, there are tools. We all have tools. Life is tools. Ego is a tool. Emotions are tools. Everything are tools. And they're not to be overplayed or overused. They're used, they're there to be used for specific reasons. Just because that tool can make your life a little bit easier doesn't mean that you can overuse it. And that's what has happened with conspiracy is it's, it's, yeah. become, it's become the win for all for the prosecutor. It's undefensible. An attorney, there's, there's no defense for conspiracy. And they know that. And at the end of the day, if they can't get the actual charge, they know that they can always fall back on conspiracy. Always, always. You're, you're absolutely correct. Always. And in a most federal indictment, um, we have multiple counts. It's not by accident that conspiracy normally is the lead count. Okay. The, the first count of a multi-count uh, indictment in federal court usually starts off with conspiracy. 
Okay. Right. And it's usually now, the, the last one standing. That's right. That's right. So because it's the easiest one. I'll let you prepare for your call, man. It's been great. I'm definitely going to have to have you great. on again. Absolutely. I'm always available. Just reach out to me. You know how to get in contact with me. I really enjoyed the conversation and looking forward to coming back and spending some more time with you. Okay. Absolutely, Rob. Thank you. And, and good luck. All right. To you. Take care. Absolutely. Bye. Thank you. Ch -ch -ch -ch.